Hi, I'm Patrick McBriarty. And I'm Christopher Lynch. And together, we are the hosts of Windy Windy City City Historians. Historians. We will share and discuss Chicago history. And some great Chicago stories. Sponsored by Rapunzel. R-A-P-U-N-Z-L. Created by two high school friends toward improving financial literacy with simulated financial trading competitions and scholarships. Rapunzel creates excitement and encourages financial education. Check out their free mobile app and the interviews of Brian and Miles in the press. R-A-P-U-N-Z-L. No E. So this is Patrick. I'm here in the Waveland Island Studios. And our discussion that Chris and I had with Dave Daruska in the last episode 24, The Railroads of the Windy City Historians, covered the history of the railroads quite well. But in addition, we had a great conversation about what it's like to run a train and operate in a railroad. It was just too good to not share. So this is a little bonus from episode 24. We are calling Working on the Railroad. I hope you enjoy it. Again, we're Chris and I are talking with David Daruska, who is a retired train engineer and also railroad historian and vice president of one of the local railroad groups here in Chicago. And we should add that when we met this morning, you had your engineer hat, yeah, the, the one from out of like a movie, right? So the blue, yeah, the hickory striped stripe cap, yeah. <laughs> now, not to confuse engineers, there was no protractor in his in his no, uh, <laughs> no, and, and a pocket protector with a bunch of mechanical pencils. Well, you know, in it. That's I went, a different I, engineer. I went to IIT, and I always tell people, yeah, I went to an engineering school. So, what kind of engineer are you? Locomotive. <laughs> they teach that in college? No, not really. <laughs> I took the Amtrak up from Bloomington to Chicago last year, and it was very nice. And sat in the bar car, and talked to the conductor, and had a cup of coffee. And then when I got out, boy, a lot hasn't changed. There was the engineer climbing out on the ladder. Yeah. I mean, it's you better know how to climb a ladder. <laughs> I mean, it was it, I was just watching. Them. Not only that, but you have to climb it with this big grip on your shoulder. You yeah, know? and this guy was wearing like the overalls and whatnot, and I thought, man, that that's a workout. Yeah. Still, I gotta imagine it's still a fairly reasonably uh, physical job. I mean, yeah, and you're out in the elements. Although and- being an engineer, it's probably the least physical of anything. You yeah. Know? You get on your locomotive and you basically go. Okay. You know, occasionally you might have to get off and line a switch. Now, what are the federal rules as far as how long you can be in the cab? 12 hours. 12 hours. Now, is it down to the minute, like with the union? Supposedly, but they have a kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. If you are blocking a crossing Mm -hmm. or if you are, you know, and somehow impeding Mm -hmm. the flow of traffic, you can work beyond your 12 hours to get your train in the clear. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Right. Now, if you work in suburban service, you actually have more than 12 hours to work if you have a three-hour break somewhere in, in your hours of service. So mm-hmm. beyond, you'll work an extra two hours beyond your 12. Is that like a swing shift? Thing? It's not really a swing shift. Or it's like, like a break. It's, yeah, it's like put your feet up and rest okay, okay. or go play cards. Because I know like with flying, it's eight hours. So now on, on, these, on these, most, most of the trains are the longer 
uh, run trains that we'll see coming coming through Chicago area. How much personnel is actually on the train itself if two. it's not a passenger? Two. So that's two. it. That's it. Engineer, and, conductor, and they and the railroads want to have it engineer only. They want to get rid of the conductor. Yeah. Yeah. And the unions are fighting it tooth and nail. Well, it kind of seems safety-wise, you it would be kind of nice to have some yeah. kind of backup. Right? Well, they, they claim that it, if they get rid of the conductor, they're going to have a guy in a truck. <laughs> and if you have a problem, the guy in the truck's going to show up. Well, over hundreds of miles, well, you have a lot of guys in trucks, but still, you know, there's yeah. not going to be somebody following the train. Well, where that's it's not going. cheap, having hundreds of guys in huh. trucks. Well, because now you brought to mind, I, I caught parts of this film with the Denzel Washington. Oh, God. In, I, it, the comedy. <laughs> I, yeah, it seemed like it was. They really tried hard to create a, a lot of drama around the trains, but you know, you start thinking about here's this. I don't know how many millions of tons of steel and freight and right. that you're carrying that does not stop easily and doesn't take turns at a certain speed. And you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Right. There's a lot of things you have to do first to make it go wrong. I mean, yeah. Now, isn't it true that at least I've seen in documentaries you have to have your foot on the yeah the dead man pedal the dead man the yeah. dead man pedal and then if you don't alarm goes off they don't have a dead man pedal in freight anymore it's only in passenger okay so freight locomotives don't have them they have a system called the alerter mm-hmm. and the alerter is designed to go off periodically to make sure you haven't fallen asleep mm-hmm. you have to either punch a button hit a lever to deactivate the alerter and if you don't, the train goes into what they call suppression. It sets the air brakes. It stops the power to the locomotive. It cuts the power to the traction motors. Mm-hmm. And then it sets the brakes on the train, and it stops the train. Oh, okay. okay. And nowadays, all this is hooked up to a computer that sends a signal. To, <laughs> they monitor. They of monitor, course, yeah. they monitor how you run the train, how much fuel you're using, I mean, it's it's the railroad business has changed a lot since sure. I started. I'm sure they grade you and you got ratings. Oh yeah, and if all you that. do if you do something wrong, they'll call you in the on the carpet. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And you could you could find yourself sitting at home for a while, twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. Or enjoying yourself. No, but you have a strong union, though, right, the conductors? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not a strong. I, I you know it's. But there's two unions. There's the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and the United Transportation Union. Okay. The BLE represents the engine craft, and the UTU represents the train service guys. Okay. And usually what happens, I, I have a lot of friends, who, and I worked as a union officer for a while, and you do your best mm-hmm. to try to alleviate any real serious issues. And even when you're, you might be disciplined, it's a lot like the military. You get disciplined. Mm-hmm. You know, you get 30 days off, you get 60 days off, and sometimes you can appeal that. Oh, okay. And the union will take it to a labor board, and the labor board might overturn that oh, I see. discipline, and then you get back to work and you Main get your stated. back pay. Mm-hmm. Okay. It just goes to show how federal the whole railroad is. Yeah, and, you know, it's you know the, the investigation. It's the dreaded thing. You do something wrong and you're called on the carpet and you're, get a notice you have to report for an investigation to say why you did all this as you're telling this too i'm imagining there's like 150 years of tradition and 
laws and iteration that this has kind of grown out of and developed into. So the railroads are the most federally regulated industries in the United States. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the, the book is like that thick. And, and I think there's like a statistic that almost everything moves by freight now. I mean, at some point in its yeah, people delivery. Don't, yeah, people don't understand that the railroads are still a vital part of the nation's business. Yeah. And one of the things in Chicago that came about was a, a group called CREATE, which is trying to rationalize the rail system in Chicago, eliminating ad-grade crossings between railroads mm-hmm. so that the freight moves faster. Yeah. You know, there was a quote once that you can move a hog through Chicago faster than you can move a person because all these different railroads had separate passenger services but yeah when I worked freight I would get a train I'd take it you know maybe a couple miles and then I'd have to stop and wait for a signal and then I'd sit there and my whole hours of service on that train doing nothing 12 hours get off go home Mm. come back the next day the train's still sitting there (laughs) waiting for me you know, depending on the railroad and depending on you as whatever is on your train, if it's hot stuff or if it's just, you know, hey, yeah, we don't need it right away, you'll get held. I think part of that project was that eight-track bridge that goes over the sanitary yeah. canal. Yeah. This is a fascinating bridge to me because it's alternating single-leaf Scherzer rolling lift bridges, which are an unusual bridge, right. but were invented by a Chicagoan. And they alternate left, right, and they open, um, or they did at one time. Um, and two of them aren't being used. And two of them had double tracks on them that were still being used. And they put another one of those, the unused bridges, back into service. Right. That project is, was just within the last three or four years that it's been uh, put in place to, to add that additional bridge, so the Scherzer yeah. Rolling Lift Bridge, and put it back in service. Right. I and those think... bridges are over 100 years old. I think part of that rationalization project right. and an infrastructure project to connect two of the yards on either side right. of the sanitary canal right. to help this efficiency with uh, moving train. Right. Yeah, ma- making an engineer is like making a baby. It takes nine months. Is that how? Yeah, I worked for a while. I was a management and I was assistant supervisor of locomotive engineers Mm -hmm. and I ran Metro's training program. And so, uh, from scratch, like say a conductor out of train service comes into the program and there's a certain amount of classroom time. Mm -hmm. And then there's hands on training. And then you send them out on different assignments as an apprentice. Yeah. And working with an engineer shows them how to run the train and. Mm Now they have a simulator at Metra yeah. where they, they get in the seat and they can sort of pretend like they're running a train. It really isn't the same thing. They're, some of the larger railroads have what they call full motion simulators, and it's really like being in the cab of a locomotive. Cool. Now, is this a calling that is passed down from father to son? Or? It used to be. Okay. It used to be. Now, you don't see as much family in the railroad anymore yeah. like you used to. I know the Illinois Central... A lot of the older guys, uh, one of my best friends, his father and grandfather were both locomotive engineers. Mm-hmm. Now, and I've gotten to know a little bit of this, but, you know, some of the trades are really like the carpenters, electricians, things like that. They're they're looking for apprentices oftentimes. Right, right. Is the railroad kind of similar? Or yeah, is it- well, you, you find that the, at least in, in terms of train service, there's less and less call for conductors. Okay. 
And a lot of people that fantasize about working for the railroad don't really realize that it's hard work. I mean, in terms of you give up your life. You're gonna If you're going to be working to start off with, you're going to be on what they call the extra board. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be on call 24-7. And when you get called, you have two hours to show up to work. Okay. Uh, they don't tolerate people showing up late. They so don't tolerate people. Yeah, you don't tolerate people going, oh, I can't make it in today. I'm feeling sick. <laughs> and so uh, a lot of people drop out early. Yeah. You know, they just can't make it through. It's a good paying job. My God. I mean, they, they pay you well for the fact that they take your life away from you. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I've been retired for six years and I tell people, this is the best job I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoy it. You know, somebody goes, oh, wouldn't you want to go back and run a train? No, yeah, not really. I've done it. I've been there. Is there a mandatory retirement? No, actually there isn't. Okay. But there is, you can retire at 60 years of age with 30 years of service. Oh, okay. And, and is there a pension with the railroad oh, yeah, still? Yeah. So they're one of the few industries that still yeah. has pensions. You get you get what's called K. railroad retirement, which is government. Uh-huh. It's just like social security only it's slightly higher. Yeah. Uh, the social security part, but there's also a component that you pay extra out of your paycheck into that's sort of like a 401k. Yeah. And that's added on top of your railroad retirement. Great. So you get and my wife gets a, a railroad pension too. Mm-hmm. Now, could you be called up in an emergency? <laughs> I suppose. I, mean, I think the, half the country would have to die for me to do that. I mean, the, I mean, the feds kind of got their hooks in. Well, the, the thing is, is that for me to go back to work, I'd have to go back through this recertification process, oh, which means I'd have to take tests. I'd have to run trains, you know, mm-hmm. with a supervisor. And then, you know, I'd be okay to do it. And I'm assuming too. There's ongoing updates and training, and, and yeah, yeah, you have, yeah, like you that. get recertified every three years, okay. and you have to go in and take tests and yep. have somebody out and give you a check ride. But there's also an annual for Metra. It's an annual rules examination. You have to go in and take your operating rules test, mm-hmm. which is sort of the rules of the road and signaling. Right, right. What about a physical? Yeah. Do you need a physical? Yeah, you do. And they've gotten really strict. They've gotten really strict about sleep apnea. Oh, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Interesting. If you have sleep apnea, you have to prove that you're using a CPAP machine mm-hmm. and, you know, be monitored for that. Yeah. If you're a diabetic, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, these are all sensible Right. These are, you know, like vision, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, sleep deprivation really affects judgment, and that can, you know. With the railroad, again, you get out there and you're on a train and you're going like this. And suddenly you feel your eyelids getting very heavy. I and bet. they close and then you open them up and you go, oh, what was the color of the last signal I went by? Yeah. Have you ever run yeah. a train at three in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> and I don't care what people say. You know, some people are like, well, shift work, you get used to it. The people I know that did it, it's hard to be awake yeah, at four it in is. the morning. It is. It is. When it's dark out. I've resorted to opening up the window in the middle of winter. Try to get cold air, you know. And the worst part is if you're working with a conductor in freight and he decides he's going to snooze off, you know, it's like, yeah. come on, you know, let's keep each other awake here. This isn't sleep time for you. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to sleep now. Now, when you started, did they still have the cabooses? Yeah. And what was the caboose's function? The caboose was the basically where the conductor and the second brakeman rode. And if you had any work to do along the way, you know, they would do some of the work. Mm-hmm. They'd 
watch the train. Uh, you're going to curves, you're looking curves, make sure you're not, no sticking brakes, no problem. Mm -hmm. Gun the, the electric? No, you, you don't gun it either. You know, you kind of you kind of do it very slowly. You know, the worst thing you can do is rip out a coupler, you know, or a knuckle or something, and you get people upset with you about that. The best thing I learned when I worked as an engineer with a caboose is you give the guys in the back a smooth ride. Because if you don't, you're going to hear about it when you get to the other end. Right. <laughs> And I, I'm proud to say I had a good reputation. You know, guys are like, I like working with you. You're smooth. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> now the word got out. You could beat a guy to death. I mean, when I first started working as a brakeman, I worked a lot of road trains. Yeah. Conductor would say, look, he said, whenever you stand up, there's a railing along the, the top. He said, always hold on to the railing. When you sit down, he said, always brace yourself. And he said, and listen for the slack to run in. You can hear, they actually hear the box cars, boom, 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 boom. Mm. And slack action could kill somebody. You could be thrown from one end of the caboose to the other. Wow. You're doing yeah. 50 miles an hour and a train goes into emergency. Yeah, right. You can believe there's some dynamic forces at work there. Mm. Yeah. Those heavy cars, the, right. even though they're coupled together, those links aren't exact, but they're really close. And so, yeah, you can imagine with 100 yards or however many yards of train that would you know whip around with all that yeah weight it all adds dynamic. up every every little inch adds up now let me ask you and i've always wondered this when you see us waving do you wave back oh yeah okay good <laughs> i used to blow the horn too good. Oh, yeah because we'd always do the you, know, then, pull, you know and then you get uh, of course now they have all these whistle ordinances right you're not supposed oh. to sound your whistle and the people in hyde park are the worst oh no pointing headed in oh god they're, they're calling downtown. They're, they're blowing the horn again. <laughs> Why did you blow the horn, Dave? Well, because there was somebody standing on the tracks. There was know? a little six-year-old that was, like, yes. waving. And... They rebuilt one of the stations in Hyde Park, and one of the rules of when there's what they call roadway workers, construction people working, you have to sound your horn through the limits of where these people are working. Yeah. And, you know, they're constantly calling downtown. They're blowing the horn. They're blowing. Well, they have to do that. It's right. a rule. It's a federal rule. It's not even a railroad rule. Well, I mean, those guys clearly need to know if they're yeah, busy working, right. somebody's coming. I mean, there's a flagman out there. He's got a air horn, blows his horn, get off the tracks. Yeah. Well, I've heard that, and we may hear a little bit of this in the background. The L tracks are just a couple blocks away. Right along with then just on the other side of Ravenswood the is the Pacific. Union Pacific. So they're right very close to my condo. When they've been doing work, I'll regularly hear that air horn right. before the, for the right. L usually, because they're usually doing more work on that than they are. Right, right. They have a rule that they have to sound that so many minutes before the train arrives mm -hmm. to get people in the clear. Yeah. I was reading a book by John McPhee about trains. It was fascinating. And he said that people don't often know this, but winds can stop a freight train. Just Out west, there's examples where trains have been blown off the track. Oh, my God. Boop. Crosswind, yeah. 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 So the trains are getting longer. Is it all these, like, Wyoming coal trains that are coming in? Uh, some. Mostly containers. Okay. From the West Coast, you know, everything comes into the West Coast ports from the Far East, China. Mm -hmm. Long Beach. Yeah, India, through Asia, Long Beach, yeah. right, you know. 
here comes another load for Walmart. Yeah, right. All our cars. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I grew up along a railroad track out in Hinsdale, on the Burlington Northern, and it is true. I saw many, many times. Trains do not look like they're going fast. They look like these lumbering hulks, right? So big, but yeah. they're moving so fast. I guess the one good thing about growing up near tracks like that is I always had a very healthy respect. <laughs> yeah. The train, I was like, whoa, I'm not getting near. Like when the gates would come down, I'm just like stepping back. Were you putting pennies on the track to see if they <laughs> No, I never up? did that. <laughs> I looked into running some packages on Amtrak one time, and it was pretty affordable. Yeah. The only thing is the tr- a truck wouldn't drop it off. You had to go to the station. Right. But, I mean, if you're moving to Colorado or something and you want to move some boxes, wasn't a bad way to go. Right. And if you lived in a small town, you know, the railroad was a lifeline. Yeah. Everything from the Sears catalog. I mean, before towns were really settled with larger stores and stuff, you couldn't get a lot of the goods that you could get via the, the wish book. Right. I grew up in Vermont for a little bit when I was a kid, and my parents were from Chicago, and there was no outlet mall or anything. They used the Sears catalog, and that's where you... I think a lot of my clothes came out of the Sears catalog. Well, as a kid, I remember going through that and JCPenney catalog create a wish list for Christmas when I was like seven, eight, nine years old, ten years old. Yeah. You'd go through that and, you know, and then probably as I got a little older, spend too much time on the lingerie section. <laughs> Not because I was ordering any, but <laughs> that was that was a wish book for sure. Yeah, right. Didn't subscribe to National Geographic. <laughs> now I've I've run or trains with oh, the wow. pelletized door. Well, you want to talk about a heavy train. I bet. <laughs> Dave, did you run out of the Upper Peninsula, the UP? Uh, I'd get them out of Fond du Lac. Cool. They'd come down. It, with the railroad, you only work within specified areas. Uh, you know, so you have a division. Sort of, you have a division. Yeah. Okay. You know, so I was working for the Wisconsin Central. During the cold months when they couldn't run the boats, they'd run the ore down via ore cars. Now, when you're pulling that many cars and that kind of weight, how many engines are you using usually? Three usually. So the trains aren't that long because you're going to reach a point where you're going to have way too much weight. You're not going to be able to control your train. Yeah. But the Wisconsin Central was basically the original Sioux Line Mm -hmm. railroad up north into Wisconsin from Schiller Park. Okay. And I don't think the engineers for the Sioux Line knew how to make cuts through hills. They just put everything on top of the hill. So you're just running up and down hills, up and down hills. So it's up the hill slow, down the hill fast. So Dave, all those glacial moraines. Yeah, it's, I learned a lot. I learned a lot how to handle a train. What was there a typical protocol or who was in charge of the... Th- no, it's just one engine. Everything's multiple unit control. It's just oh, like wow. the L cars. Okay. In fact, multiple unit control came from the L. Uh-huh. The first elevated trains that were electrified were run via multiple control. So that means one operator controls all the cars. Every car behind the control car is essentially a slave. Okay. And they're hooked together by cables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with diesel locomotives. And now with radio control, they can place locomotives in the train at various locations to operate the train. Mm. But those locomotives that you see connected together are being operated by one engineer. How okay. much horsepower is being generated? Oh, the newer locomotives are talking 4,000, 5,000 horsepower. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. What about in inclement weather like snow and <laughs> ice? 
Yeah, well, it usually isn't too much of a problem with diesels because of the weight, but like on the electric line that I worked on, those are all lightweight cars. Oh, okay. So you get wheel sliding. If you set the brakes too hard, you get the wheels actually pick up on you. They'll oh, come off the rail, and then you'll flatten the wheel. And then you get downtown, and it's going boom, 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 boom. And then you get a call from... Oh, uh, yeah, like, what happened? Oh, well, no. We see that you made that turn a little fast. <laughs> no, it's usually... the On the Blue Island branch, the, the biggest problem in fall was the leaves. You get wet leaves on the rail. Oh, interesting. And you'd set your brakes, and you just slide along. Did they have, like, a maintenance uh, car that went along and swept up the leaves or anything? No. 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 This wasn't a... Issue. No, just, just learn how to run your train right. <laughs> break early, break light. <laughs> I played goalie in high school for the soccer. Somebody described the job as, you know, hours of boredom and, and seconds of terror. <laughs> right. I said the same thing when people ask me, well, how's it is to be an engineer? I said, well, you know, it's hours of boredom and sudden sheer terror, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had trains almost run away from me going down a hill. I'm like, oh my God. I didn't break soon enough, and you know I've got all this weight behind me pushing me down the hill. So now Newton's in charge. It's just the laws of physics. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, here at the here at the bottom of this hill is a bridge over a river, and I hope I don't go in the drink. Wow, oh, man. God. Yeah, just hope the wheels hang on the rail. <laughs> yes, hope the brakes hold. Yeah, it's it's you know one of those things you don't think about. Do you have any funny stories of just things just ha happening that you look back and you're like, that was ridiculous. I was taking a train uh, through Wisconsin and we're passing another train goes by us. And here's a guy on one of those trailer flat cars holding on for dear life. Going by us, they're going like 40 miles an hour. So I radioed the train. I said, hey, I said, you got some guy riding on, on a flat car there. I said, maybe I ought to get him off. They said, we've stopped twice already and thrown him off, and he got back on. Jeez. Was he just like a hobo or something? Yeah, yeah. Do they still have hobos? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yes. Do they still have the railroad dicks? That oh, call? yes. Oh, yes. And are those guys still pretty rough? Yeah. Is a, a hobo museum Yeah. Uh, in Iowa. Uh, and it's it's actually fascinating to hear the story of of many of these people that would just ride the rails. You know, they've rom romanticized hobos, and it really is not a, a decent thing. You no. know, younger kids will get out there and get in these hobo camps and be killed or oh, or raped or robbed. It's super dangerous. It's now. very dangerous. It's very dangerous. And the trains aren't set up where you can ride safely anymore. No, not really. No. And uh, all these intermodal trains, like you said, they're all like just. Pods. Yeah, right. Well, you know, people squeeze in between, you know, things, and but it's can't be very relaxing. I mean, maybe the first five minutes is fine. I had uh, there's a group called the Sh uh, Center for Railroad Photography and Art, mm -hmm. and they s specialize in railroad photography. Famous people have taken pictures of trains, and they had a guy come in and give a presentation. He had gone to different hobo camps and interviewed people, and you want to talk about sad stories really yeah. you know people down and outers not bad people you know not criminals but they say look you know you get out here and you meet a lot of really bad people yeah. well and when you're just scratching by to survive you're 
decisions aren't very good. Right. You know, your options aren't very good to make good decisions necessarily. Right. I mean, at one time, traveling traveling by train as a hobo was probably okay. People moved about the country, especially during the Depression. You know, migrant workers. That was right. the only way they could get to some right. of the jobs. Was, yeah. You know, and you had this whole thing of you know. People would leave food out for them, you know, mm-hmm. here's a pie on the windowsill. And, or they'd go up to a house, you know, do you have any work for me? Sure, I'll feed you. And I, I remember do my this. dad saying that about his grandmother, um, and they were in Elgin, and that they would regularly, because they were near the train, Yeah. the train tracks that, the, you know, some of the hobos would come by. And, and so his mother's kind of rule was, well, if they'd give them some work or some, some chores to do, and then right. if, if they did that then she would feed him right i bet it was good though yeah (laughs) but the food was good i'm sure it was i'm sure it was good there was a tradition of a good sunday dinner with the mcbrady household (laughs) yeah my great aunt perpetuated that for a while yeah that's cool well i i you know i love amtrak and i've traveled on some of those trains and i know that the railroads still kind of grumble about amtrak because Mm -hmm. The railroads have the the right of way over the passenger trains, I believe. Freight takes precedence. Actually, there was a attempt to make Amtrak have right over freight. Problem is, is that the railroads uh, don't necessarily feel they have to follow the rules. Hmm. Everything on the railroads now is centrally dispatched. There's a central dispatcher somewhere in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they control the railroad. They basically tell you, they give you the signal and they let you go. They give you a hold signal and you don't go anywhere. And I've experienced Amtrak going out east to Buffalo, where my family lives, and you're constantly being put to the side to allow a train to go by and get you over on another track and then they allow another train to go by. And, yeah. you know, it's not unusual to sit someplace for an hour. Yeah. One time I went, got as far as Cleveland, and they had problems with the locomotives, and they had to switch the locomotives out, and it took them forever. <laughs> the train's called the Lakeshore Limited, and I call it the Lake Snore Limited. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it leaves it leaves Chicago around midnight, and it gets to Buffalo about nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then it leaves Buffalo, and this is not even downtown Buffalo. It's like out in the suburbs leaves Buffalo about between 12 and 1, depending on when the train shows up, mm-hmm. and you get into Chicago at 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then it splits at Albany. They got the Boston yeah, and I, then the New York. Yeah, I don't know if they, if they split the train or if they uh, they just transfer to another train. I think they split it. Okay. Yeah, I took it once to Albany. I've taken the California Zephyr a couple times, and that's fun train out to Denver. That one's set up more for tourists because yeah. you get to Denver about 8 o'clock, Mm-hmm. You leave Union Station at two in the afternoon, get to Denver about eight eight a.m. I'm That's always not bad. I'm always yeah. having breakfast. I'm always having the French toast, <laughs> and then there's like a maybe an hour and a half pause. You run you run off the train. You grab some newspapers or something, and then the smart people go to the gallery or the the window car. Okay, because mm-hmm. you're about to for the observation deck. You're about to see the great show, right? Which is going into the Rockies, lifting right. a train into the Rocky Mountains. You go through about 90 tunnels in about 40 minutes, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. neat. And then you go through the Moffat Tunnel, which is 15 minutes. Yeah. 
15 minutes you're in this tunnel and then you're like where are we going right and the windows are getting warm going to china and they tell you not to open the in between the cars because of smoke and then you pop out and you're in winter park which is yeah in the winter is everyone's skiing that's a great train well and then my grandmother took the trans canadian railway and she said she went on about that trip and she wasn't one to to go on about things but that was just a gorgeous trip and that's supposed to be a really great that train, train also ride. stops at night and you actually sleep in a hotel mm-hmm. because i don't think i've met anybody who's ever slept on a train um actually slept slept i've been, <laughs> i've been in a sleeping car but i don't think i slept because of the damn horn you were telling me about because i don't know it was just like it was like being in a washing machine just a cook- oh it just rocked me to sleep i thought i, I, t- <laughs> I got a, a a roomette once with a bed, you know, and I slept. Did you? Okay, yeah. good. I slept. Well, you're familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, right. Motion. I'm used to that rocking and, yeah. you know. It's, it's like me on a boat. I, I, I have no problem sleeping on a boat and other people, they aren't used to it, so. <laughs> when I worked in at the Northwestern, I worked in a night job that took the last train out of Chicago, got to Harvard, Illinois, mm-hmm. and then we lay over at Harvard and then bring in the first morning rush hour train. So we'd actually make up beds out of the seats. You could pull the cushions off yeah. and you could set up your own little bed and you could sleep for three hours. And you know, you're all rested in the morning. I had a little uh, electric coffee maker with me. We'd have oatmeal <laughs> on the way in. <laughs> we had it all set up. We that's, were really doing, we were living the life. That's nice. You know, yeah. we, we were talking about the Pullman Porters earlier. I discovered that they slept in the dining cars yeah. on the table. Yeah. Which is kind of sad. You think they could have found them a bed or something. But. When I worked for the Wisconsin Central, one of the jobs that I worked was what they call the local. And the local goes out and spots industries. And there were quite a few industries that we would deliver cars to, candy manufacturers, mm-hmm. scrap metal dealers. Mm-hmm. I love that work. It'd be kind of interesting. Though. It is. It's yeah. great. You know, you spot cars at the uh, sidings and... Well, and then you're getting to go on all these short little... Oh, yeah, all these little industrial tracks. Right, that you that you don't really know about right, otherwise. Right, right. From financial losses. Oh, suburban service, push-pull. Yeah. The invention of the galley car, the... the bi-level galley car Mm -hmm. with a control cab on the end with the duplicate controls for the engineer and just a couple switches on the you know shut this down on the locomotive turn this on in the cab car and away you go people go do you sit in your locomotive and push the train no (laughs) that'd be pretty hard yeah (laughs) look out the mirror right right so that that was a, a big innovation and, and it was innovated here in Chicago. And explain how that galley car is situated again. I'm physically trying to envision. It, well, it's a bi-level galley okay. car. And it, it uh, well, none of them have power uh, as far as the wheels themselves. Okay. On the electric district, they do. All those galley cars on the electric district are essentially locomotives. They have control cabs. They have electric motors in the wheels. But the diesel cars, they just basically trailers Mm -hmm. and they can have multiple cab cars but only one is cut in the one at the end is cut in to operate okay so let me ask you if you had to sum up railroads 
and Chicago, the relationship between the two. How would you, what would you say? I'd, <laughs> I'd say it was a very uh, tortuous relationship. Hmm. You know, a lot of politics involved, especially in getting routes into the city. Mm-hmm. Union Station, the construction of Union Station, a lot of graft, a lot of, uh, you know, skullduggery going on with contractors and stuff. Backroom deals. Yeah. Smoky yeah. Rooms. Now you're with the Blackhawk chapter of National Railway Historical Society. Right. So how are you planning on celebrating <laughs> the 175th anniversary in 2023. Good question. Of the Pioneer. Through the last three years, applied for and gotten um, mayoral proclamations. Yes, I'm looking at one right now by Mayor Lightfoot. Right. Impressive. Our first one was from Mayor Emanuel. We skipped 2020 because of the pandemic. Right. Didn't think it was really fair for us to be burdening the city with requests. Do you uh, give this presentation at yeah, libraries? Yeah, I do. At any civic group in Chicago. I've got a presentation coming up for the Norwood Park Historical Society. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's a good group. I've sent out posters to just about every person of importance in the world, sent out press releases, tried to get any kind of interest going in the media about the 175th anniversary and nada, nothing. Well, that's not true because you got the attention of the Windy City historians, and <laughs> where we, we go. are delighted to talk to you about this. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that I am doing, you know, going out and being the... Uh, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Sell the uh, snake oil. <laughs> yeah. But now, let me ask you, you got to answer this question we were talking earlier. You said that some people think October is the, quote, official month of the Pioneers debut and you said the rail fans think it's November. Yeah. So explain that. Explain yeah. Why, why am I, why did I pick October? Yes. Because it's not near Thanksgiving. See, that's, <laughs> that's a PR guy, right? It's a pragmatic, Very just pragmatic. like setting up time zones. It's like, well, when are you going to pick this thing? This is if where the Chicago history museum says it's October the 25th, it's October the 25th. Okay. Right. And the rest of everybody else be damned. I don't care. So people should get down to the Chicago History Museum and see the Pioneer. Definitely. And those that don't think they would like it, bring some kids because kids love trains. Oh, yeah. They'll even let you climb up on it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I have a picture of myself sitting in the engineer's seat. I show it to people and I say, see, I am as old as dirt. (laughs) (laughs) And then those who like trains go to the Museum of Science and Industry. They got the Zephyr that came for the 33 World's Fair. And they got that other huge uh, steam engine train. Yeah. I'm blanking on the name, but it's so big. It's a Santa Fe locomotive, and I've actually got photos of it being moved through Hyde Park. (laughs) Oh, wow. And I know it did, I remember reading it, did a speed record during its heyday that was incredible for that time. Right. So Chicago really has some great train artifacts. Right, and if, you know, you go to Union Station and just, experience you know which they recently have refurbished and it's it's really a, a pretty station again. yeah it is uh, i forget who funded that but i i think it was part of the railroad that yeah it started about 10 years ago i want to say right and it took them four or five years to to do it and they did it in phases and it's a beautiful station again right also at the museum of science and industry you've got the world's greatest 
model train. Oh my God, I love it. Oh, that. right, that's right. I love it. I saw a documentary, I think, uh, or a piece on Chicago Tonight mm-hmm. where they interviewed the guy who maintains the trains. Oh, fun. And it's like his, his dream job, you know. Yeah. Gets, Imagine as a model railroader to have yeah. that kind of space and that kind of a setup to play around with. Right. And I think that route that they're showing there is the Empire Builder out to Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, and then also for rail fans, you got to go to Union, Illinois. Right. And there's also a museum in Monticello. Monticello. Yeah. Monticello. I knew it was a French name. <laughs> that sounded nice. But I haven't been to the one in Monticello. Is that one similar it's to supposed Union? supposed to be or? really nice. Okay. It doesn't have as much equipment, but they, they have a nice uh, long operating line. Uh-huh. Yeah, because the operating line in Union is a short, yeah. short loop. And I, th- I think they may have a run the train program where you can oh. actually sign up and be, be an, an engineer. engineer for a day. That's yeah. pretty cool. And yeah. there's also the Fox Valley Trolley Museum, which you oh. may not be aware of. No, I'm not. Yeah, that's up in uh, around Elgin. Okay. And you can ride that train into a forest preserve. Oh, and interesting. And it's all electric, you know, cars. Yeah. Oh, Neat. Cool. Neat. So a lot of train history here in Chicago that's still being preserved, which is very nice. Right. Well, this has been fascinating. Again, modern day people tend to not realize how integral railroads were to Chicago's history. Right. You know, it's like, oh, the train's blocking my way. (laughs) Yeah. I wish this train would hurry up. And and still are as far as freight goes, and because we since we aren't passenger trains so much oriented. Right. Right. But nearly almost everything is by container is moving by train across the country but people who complain should realize if they want that cheap product from china (laughs) that's right the walmart shopping (laughs) it's sitting right in front of them in that stalled train so they should just be more patient yeah where i live on the south side we're crisscross with rail lines and it's not unusual to sit at a crossing and wait yeah you know my wife brings her sudoku thing and I look at the cars go by, watch the graffiti, and there you go. Like, oh, look at that. That's neat. <laughs> it must have been strange when you were working as an engineer because you get stopped. Remember, you have two hours to report, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, man, I'm getting screwed by the railroad trying to get to work. <laughs> I learned very early on is to give myself a lot of time to get to work. Yeah. Have a go bag. Definitely. Always ready. Always in the car. Always ready to go. Thank you for listening to the Windy City Historians podcast. Audio editing by Christopher Lynch and Patrick McBriarty at the Waveland Island Studios. And special thanks to Jill Hogginson for the idea and branding assistance and Nate Kennedy for technical support and specking our audio equipment. Thank you for listening to the Windy City Historians Podcast.